I'm Maureen Atura, and you're listening to The Positive Fantastic. Winding up a driveway overlooking the Pacific Ocean, Robin Burnside lives tucked into the scenic cliffs of California's Big Sur coast. From Robin's kitchen, you can see all the way down to the ocean below, and she likes to assess how the surf is from her view on high. A certifiable mermaid, Robin has been body surfing since she was a wee one, and continues to get out on the open ocean with friends and family to pursue her lifelong passion of connecting with the water. On the visit that we were to record this podcast, we met at a beach and immediately, I mean instantaneous with our toes first wiggling into the sand, we spotted a pot of dolphins body surfing in the waves offshore, spinning this way and that, leaping up and gliding across the open back of the wall of water with absolute grace. We stood transfixed by the beauty that presented itself. Several years ago, when Robin's beloved passed away during their annual surf season in Baja, Mexico, she asked some close friends to come down and make some fresh and fun memories with her the following year. I happily obliged, driving down the Baja California Peninsula with my then-girlfriend in an epic van tour. As soon as we arrived at the coastal palapa that Robin had helped build, and where we were all staying for the duration of our visit together, we saw gray whales breaching in the distance. For a week, any time of day, we could see whales frolicking. So whether or not Robin attracts the aquatic mammals or she just knows the right places to be, I feel honored to be a friend of such a magical woman of the waters. This episode is actually more about Robin's culinary interests, as Robin has spent much of her life helping to feed people well. While I know that Robin eats well, our motto during our camp out in Baja was literally no bad meals. I'm all about double entendres, and I also know that Robin is deeply fed by her love and proximity to the ocean. This episode explores Robin's adventures in culinary catering from restaurants to rock music festivals, nourishing family and friends to serving it up for her local monks down the road in Big Sur. As someone who has clocked my fair share of hours in the kitchen, I wanted to honor an amazing chef, a wise woman, and a dear elder friend who has created a really fantastic life, teeming with positive adventures. Without further ado, here's the interview episode with Robin called Feed the People. Come this my way. Come this my way. Come this my way. Come this my way. 
Welcome to the Positive Fantastic, Robin. So I'm really happy to have you here and get to talk to you about all the amazing things that you do and really respect you as an elder friend for so many years now. And yeah, I'm happy that you're here with me. Oh, thank you. It's really fun to have you here visiting me on my little nest on the side of the mountain. Yeah. yeah. So we've known each other for probably, gosh, over a decade. Oh, yeah. Probably 15 yeah, years. Something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Um, we've been going to the Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium. Yeah, that's where I met you first. And you were just this bouncing, beautiful little bunny and had the best keeper water of anybody. And I just <laughs> thought, ooh, I want to know this girl. Yeah. And you were cooking delicious meals. You still cook delicious meals, but you were cooking them for lots and lots of women at this gathering. And I was like, who's my cook? I got to go meet her and thank her and appreciate her and love her up. So, <laughs> so we made a pretty instant connection around food. And um, so we've been just playing since then. Yeah. And enjoying each other's company. Mm-hmm. So how did you become such an amazing chef? I like food. I like to eat. That was a big piece of it. And uh, yeah, my first job was making pies in a local restaurant in Malibu. And then my grandmother was a caterer, did a lot of weddings and special things. So I schlepped the big heavy pots and pans and served on the line with a big smile and learned uh, learned food that way. Mm -hmm. um, when I was even younger, I spent time with my maternal grandmother in her kitchen and she was just a good home grandma Italian cook and I she came it. in with it kind of so I played with it it was always yeah. part of family part of um I have good memories around food because it was the time that I really got to connect with some of my elders and that they mm -hmm. really spent time focusing on sharing some of their time and love and wisdom with me so I was drawn to do that a lot it was a safe place for me as a young girl to hang out mm -hmm. they were safe people in my family and the most creative and and I remember being a young woman and looking at my grandmother and thinking I can't wait till I'm a grandma because she's having more fun than anybody else around here <laughs> and now that that's me I you're having more fun I'm than anybody way else. more fun than, than anybody <laughs> and I totally get that ease of why I was attracted to uh, being with her when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So food went on. I um, I ended up uh, working in restaurants when I was in college, and because of my background as a young girl, I you know moved through the ranks and went from just waitress to bartender to manager to this and that, and then um, opened my first restaurant with my first husband, Carmel Cafe, and it was a just a small donut shop. We had actually before that we had a cheesecake company, Ooh. and it was called the Home Team Cheesecake Company, and we um, lived with another person, two two people in a house in Carmel, and to pay the mortgage for about two years, we did the Home Team Cheesecake Company, which meant twice a week we baked cheesecakes at our house, and every flat surface had a rack, <laughs> and we did anywhere between forty and sixty pies. Twice wow. a week wow. for fancy restaurants in Monterey and Carmel, some of the high-end restaurants. And we did like a, you know, Strega-flavored one for an Italian restaurant and a chocolate mousse one for a 
a steakhouse and then a hippie, you know, kind of cafe. We did pumpkin and raspberry cheesecakes. And we did these, you know, designer cheesecakes. This is back in the late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, you know, we'd take samples around and got clients. And then all of a sudden we got super popular. And we realized that people wanted to do like interviews with the home team cheesecake company and like, where do you make them? And we went, oops, <laughs> we can't tell them we make them at home, actually. <laughs> so we bought a donut shop in Carmel. We used the, the equity in the house to get the loan for the donut shop. And we spent every penny we had to get in it. And so we had to run a donut shop for six months to make enough like en enough money to Capital, close yeah. it and remodel it into something okay. that reflected us. And it was it had a big, big kitchen, which is why we had it with a big walk in and, you know, big equipment and tiny front and the police and the uh, locals would come in and. And they would, you know, come in the back door at five in the morning. We were there making donuts and get donuts and coffees. And we warned them that, you know, pretty soon this is going to stop and you're going to have to go to Monterey for your donuts. And uh -huh. I'd try and get some whole wheat toast in them. And they'd look at me like, thanks for sharing. Give me a donut. <laughs> so anyway, that was just crazy for us old, you know, health food hippies yeah. to be happy to do it. But it was steady income that we knew we could get by doing that. So right. we did it for six months until we just had enough money and we closed it down hired a bunch of our friends from Big Sur to come up and create the Carmel Cafe out of the donut den. And that's when we pretty much dropped the cheesecakes and stuff. That was too much. And anyway, we had the Carmel Cafe for a bunch of years and, uh, and then sold that and moved to Big Sur and took over the rooftop of the Phoenix shop at Nepenthe and had a place called the Cafe Amphora for 12 years. And that yes. was just a big open deck over the ocean with a little teeny cafe that, you know, we made Benedicts and, and salads and sandwiches and tofu scrambles and had a big espresso machine, which back then, I remember my husband coming back from the city with a $500 secondhand Conti espresso machine. And I was like, what? We don't have that kind of money. And he says, oh, we're going to make that back by the end of the summer. And we made it back like in a month. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was crazy. People like the coffee. So we yeah. were the kind of place. And back then, they actually allowed tour buses to come down the Big Sur coast. They don't do that anymore. They don't allow the big, long tour buses. Right. But back then, they did. <clears throat> and people didn't want to to let them come because you get 75 people in your restaurant, just boom. Right. And they'd be rejected. And they'd get to my place. And the driver would come up and say, what can we do? And I'd go... You all get turkey avocado sandwiches and a drink, and uh -huh. you're going to pay X amount of money, and that's what it is. And he would be like, thank you very much. So we actually got in with the tour companies to where we were doing that, and right. they knew that they could bring 75 people on a bus. You were on the ride. And then yeah. we had enough room on the terrace for them to be, and it was a come up and order and pick up your order thing. So, you know, I would just say, okay, fine, and I lived right there. So when that happened, you know, my staff would call me and go, they're here. <laughs> it's on. We'd lay out sheet trays and just start cranking out sandwiches, and you know it was it was cool because it was a nice flush of cash on top of our tourist money. Right, and you started cooking for larger and larger groups because of that, right? Yeah, I mean, I did a lot of catering too. Uh -huh. I did weddings. I did all kinds of different um, private 
catering over the years. Right. So I was comfortable with with large amounts. So it was you know, like seventy five turkey avocado sandwiches, no problem. Got this. You know, I got this. <laughs> <clears throat> and then my terrace was beautiful. And I used to do a lot more weddings when we first started there. And then we'd have customers who would drive down from the city to have brunch. And I'd have a wedding, they'd be pissed. Mm. So I stopped that, and we only did it in the evening. Okay. And that and that helped a lot. So, mm. yeah. And uh, so I did that for a bunch of years. And um, after and that, I oh gosh, I I I think I just kind of worked around the community, catering, doing some private chefing things. And then um, a friend of mine asked if I wanted to cook at Eslin. And my children had gone to gazebo there, and I had been Which on is a special school. guest yeah. list. Yeah, yeah. So I'd spent a lot of time at at, at Esalen and on the coast, and um, so I said, "Well, yeah, okay, I'll come down and cook." And I did that for a few months, and then Michael Murphy came up to me one day. He goes, "Would you like to manage this place?" And I said, "No, I don't know, maybe." And anyway, I ended up managing that kitchen for about five years, and it was really amazing because in my prior life when push came to shove I could just go in there and get it done I could not feed 250 people three meals a day by myself right so I learned delegation skills I learned to let go of my perceived idea of how things were going to be and just accept what I could create with you know a very minimal staff and a lot of rotating work scholars that were people that were not professional restaurant people, but were my core staff. Uh -huh. So I, I had, I learned that skill of just figuring it out and trusting and going to it. So when I came to herbal symposium, I was like, Oh yeah, I got that superpower. Uh -huh. <laughs> I know how to take a bunch of people who are uncomfortable with high volumes of food and figure out how to get it all chopped and cooked and served and right. like that. Make so, everybody happy. Yeah, yeah. And just trust that, that, you know, I could at least have a vision and move in that direction in a fairly um, methodical way to get the job done. And, Symposium is such a an amazing place of trust and support. And you, I remember, were my angel because the RTF, you know, random task force of the of the Women's Herbal Symposium was one of my most favorite things. And the reason that I felt confident to look at the promoters and say, yeah, we can do this. Because I knew that when shit happened, I could turn to you guys and you'd figure it out. You'd help me get what I needed. So we were holding it down. It was, it was a really wonderful experience for me. And, you know, certainly a, a labor of love. It wasn't about the money at all. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun and just, uh, yeah. So that's kind of been it. I, um, you kind of went from, you know, paste cheesecake and donuts, <laughs> which is interesting <laughs> to hear that story because I know you as like the healthiest, most farm to table, <laughs> most amazing, fresh local ingredients chef. But, but at Esalen, that's kind of their thing, right? Is that they've got the garden on site. They've got those local foods, symposium, same thing, organic. They've got Irene's garden right there. I'm sure at your restaurant too. And, and all the meals I've ever shared with you, like our mantra was no bad meals when I came to visit you in Baja because you're like, <laughs> this is this salad greens from this place and we're going to go to the farmer's market and get these things. And then this fish is from next door, smoked next door, you know? And mm -hmm. yeah, you're really, uh, you embody the food in a way. And you're like part of the, the milieu of all the tasty, wonderful things. And 
Mm. And coming into your kitchen and watching you cook is just such a delight too, because you're so invested in it in such a beautiful way and, and connected to nourishing other people. It's really your, you're an amazing mm. server of delicious, nutritious food. <laughs> well, being in you know the middle of the Big Sur coast with stores far away, I pretty much had to figure stuff out here. And you know, raising four kids here and having to you know feed them in a way that nourished them and was tasty was always it. So I would you know cut vegetables as i made dinner and they're hungry so they would have their raw vegetables and salad with some dip or not before dinner was ever served right so you know i i figured out these little ways of just keeping it real for my kids from the beginning and now i mean they love their vegetables they love to eat my grandkids love to go out in the garden and forage and you know my my daughter laughed at a at a board meeting about getting kids to eat vegetables and she's like grow them and you can't get them to leave them until they're ripe you know so uh-huh. <laughs> it's like totally. help me having shift some of that awareness and I've worked with the schools and and done some uh, school lunch programs and whatnot and and then uh, when I was at Esalen um, a man came there who was a, a publisher and he wanted to do an Esalen cookbook and so I started that project with him and then I left Esalen to actually do the book. My my husband uh, had some inheritance come in that happened to be exactly to the penny my salary from Esalen. So wow. he essentially gave them six months notice and bought my contract out. And we had an eight-year-old that we were homeschooling and he needed help. So I came home and I started working on that project. And as Esalen is, they have uh, quite a rotating CEO history. And a new CEO came in and decided that he wanted the man who um, who I trained in my job to do to to finish the cookbook. And the publisher was outraged. He just said, "This is so wrong." And anyway, I said, "Whatever." And he goes, "Okay, you can't give them this, and you can't give them that. And you can give them some recipes, but don't give them your introduction. And here's five grand. You go write your own cookbook." And I was like, ah! What do you mean? I was going to facilitate a, a community cookbook. I don't know about my cookbook. And he goes, oh, yeah, I see you've got one. So I took his money. <laughs> and then yeah. I, I, I went and got a big computer and I started learning you know, how to work a computer so I could do this project. And it was it was a lot. It was hard for me to do. It was hard for me to imagine why I should tell somebody how to make pesto or ghee or cook this. Or I was just like, mm. Really? people don't know this stuff and I you and should I, I really <laughs> couldn't figure out what I had to to do and I and yeah. I titled it the um holistic kitchens because I really wanted to wrap around the different kitchens from my grandmother's kitchens all the way through symposium and catering and my restaurants mm. I wanted to kind of just get a holistic view of it and um so I did I did the manuscript it took me five years to do I have buckets of of uh, notes that I went through and drafts that I pulled out the manuscript for and they kept giving me deadlines and I'd be like uh sorry I had another grandkid I'm going to the beach you know and and my (laughs) husband be like and tell them you're at 12 cents an hour for the amount of time that you've been on this thing (laughs) so I just kept pushing them back and finally I got the manuscript done and, and to them after five years and they took it to a um conference of publishers 
And it was back when they were kind of starting the farm to table thing and they really wanted to market my material. Right. And I didn't understand that once you give them that, it's theirs. You don't get to do anything with it beyond that. I mean, you have some input, but it's in the end, it's theirs. So they took out all of my most precious recipes, which were oh. my raw and my fermented and the things that I really, you know, had come to like. And, and they wanted me to do a second book with those and they changed the title to the homesteaders kitchen recipes from farm to table and i was like what that's not right and if that's what you're going to do i need to get i need to shift some of the manuscript to reflect that and they were like no you got 10 days here's here's the galley we're sending it fedex to mexico where you're held up and you get 10 days to go through this and then it's being shipped to china to print and i'm just like wow dang so that was kind of an interesting awareness and um yeah i felt a little hijacked but they did uh, a beautiful job with the book i have to say um they hired a local um guy that that i've known since birth who's a fabulous photographer and and then another friend of mine to help stage it so the photographs in it are just spectacular and they just made a pretty book it's kind of a memoir book but it's to me it doesn't really reflect the title i'll be honest with you um and it's really fun to have something that people don't consume that's left at the end of the day. Uh-huh. You know, I would like make <laughs> these cook, giant yeah. towering wedding cakes, you know, that were just gorgeous with flowers and beautiful ribbons and all this stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. And then 20 minutes later, it was gone. Yeah. You know? yeah. So the book was something that stuck around and it's been fun over the years when my kids are saying, Mom, how do you make this? I'm like, in the book. Uh-huh. Oh, come on, Mom, just tell me they're in the kitchen. I go, no, that's why I wrote that book. You go get it and look at the recipe, and we'll talk. <laughs> no. So, yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey to do it, and, and I'm enjoying it now. Now I have something I get to share with yeah. people and whatnot. But I see how people go to want to do a second book because there's so many little things in that that I would do different. And then I had all of my precious um raw food. I did a lot of cleanses at Esalen and stuff. So I had some really nice recipes and they wanted to do the homesteaders larder after this. And I just went, no way. I'm not spending another five years at a computer. I'm right. done. So anyway, that was the end of my book, Steph. <laughs> it's so true though. I mean, I, I self-published a book and I learned, you know, it's a steep learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> for your first it's thing. huge it's and huge i'm not a writer i was like me i'm gonna write so i would go over things every sentence every word you know it was it's hard it's hard work but yeah. but know. now you have a book that you have carries book, on so. <laughs> yeah, exactly So today's PSA is a very beloved recipe that Robin shared with me visiting on this trip. And it was so delicious that I want to, it's a public service to share it with you now. (laughs) So um, yeah, so I'm going to read off the ingredients and then Robin's going to kind of talk us through the process. So you're going to get organic local ingredients whenever possible. Um, The recipe calls for some um, dairy products, but you could substitute some vegan alternatives. And it is a uh, avocado chocolate mousse. So here's the here's the ingredients list. You're going to get eight small circles of cacao butter. Which is about, I think, a quarter cup if you were to 
And, and all of these measurements have some flexibility. No give right. or take, yeah. yeah. Give or take. Two tablespoons coconut oil and two tablespoons ghee. You're going to warm up all those things, right? You're just going to warm up the ghee and the coconut oil. If you don't want the ghee, you can just do all coconut oil and keep it vegan. And then but when it's when it's uh, liquid but and cooled down, then it's going to be added to the next ingredients, which are um, you want four to five avocados that are at room temperature. And that's about 2.5 cups of avo flesh that you're going to work with. Um, one cup of raw honey, one cup of cacao powder, an eighth teaspoon of salt, and one tablespoon of vanilla. That's pretty much it. And I, I put it all into a food processor. Um, you could probably use a Vitamix, but I think it sometimes adds more air than it's needed. So the texture I found comes out best in a food processor. Mm -hmm. Put it all in and just whir it. Scrape the sides down, make sure everything's going, and it comes out like satin. It's got a glossy, beautiful, moussey, satiny finish. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can put it in the fridge or in the freezer. I put it in the freezer and has kept it for weeks and months and just taken a scoop out when I want to have a treat. Um, yeah, it's pretty darn fun. It's, it's uh, very rich, very delicious. Yeah. And for people who love chocolate, it's... It's a nice, nice treat. It's like chocolate mousse, but there's no eggs or. It's where it's stuff. at. It's where it's at. <laughs> and so we served it with um, some fruit garnish and some mint garnish. And also you made a really delicious berry sauce. Mm -hmm. They got to, to be eaten with those bites of yummy mousse. So, <laughs> so yeah, if you're at home listening, you can um, re-listen to this segment of the podcast and go make those delicious store purchases now so that you too can enjoy Robin's avocado chocolate mousse. <clears throat> One of the other really fun things that we've got to do together over the years is to enjoy your delicious food <laughs> and presence and company at festivals. So we have the symposium is definitely where we met and where we made a big connection. But then pretty quickly there, we started running into each other at Kate Wolf, which is also held at Black Oak Ranch up in Leightonville. And Earth Dance. And Earth Dance and Gaia Fest for a and minute. Gaia and Fest for a minute, yeah. Right. So uh, you had a security detail that you would do with, with Billy. Or, that was my retirement from the kitchen. <laughs> uh -huh, exactly. And so you had, I remember you cruising around on bikes and be like, there goes Robin and um, and then I had a band for a while that would play and then I would pour wine backstage with the winery. And so we would just keep running into each other. And so we had a lot of, of fun had at those times together. And you actually have a really long history of going to Black Oak and um, being mm -hmm. chef on site, you know? Yeah, my uh, children, all, most of my children went to Camp Winter Rainbow. Beautiful. And so, you know, I got connected with the hog farmers through that and through mutual friends. Um, a friend of, of mine is part of that community and she would come down and um, we would do benefits at Esalen together. We did the 35th anniversary, receive a benefit together for a thousand people or something like that. Nice. So she and I had some food, um, big group connections. So when they started doing events, they started off with... Um, what was the first the one picnic called? Or? The picnics, right. Yeah. So the first ones were called the picnics, and they did them, oh, up at the Reggae on the River site, and then they brought them down to Black Oak. And when they did that, they built a kitchen back, of a new kitchen at the back of Camp Winter Rainbow to accommodate 
the kids' summer camp and right. the festival. Mm -hmm. And it was really exciting to have a real kitchen because we had always done kind of these fake camp kitchens where we just, you know, by the end of the weekend with the tarp on the floor had all these potholes from knocking down all of the little critters' <laughs> houses underneath over the weekend. So anyway, they ended up building a kitchen and a platform and it got it got a little more um, official. official. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I cooked for those festivals backstage for the performers, the volunteers, and about 500 family members of the hog farm. And um, it was it was so friggin' much work. It was beyond the beyond. I've never really uh, fed a thousand people three meals a day like that right. in wow. my life. You know, I've done hundreds, but not that many. It was over a thousand people three meals a day, and they, the people who set it up, you know, kind of did the food that they always did. And so it was hard for the first year or two. Every year, I would leave with a list of things that I would suggest and telling them I'm going to buy a ticket next year. And then they would <laughs> change it all and make it work. And I kept coming back and bringing my staff, and then they worked hard. And sometimes people came back with me. Sometimes they wouldn't come back with me again. And so I probably did that through the picnic, early years of the Kate, and into Earth Dance. Um, still did backstage kitchen. There were times that, you know, we'd make just gallons and gallons and gallons of food. It was crazy. Wow. wow. Um, and then we got to a point where just, you know, some of the politics changed and stuff. And one year my husband said, that's it. Oh, I know. After a few years, my husband, we would go up early and we would set up everything. Mm -hmm. And the, the way that it worked for me to continue to participate was that when the music started, I was his. Uh -huh, right. And then I would return on Monday morning. So I would spend a week getting that kitchen set up and make gallons of salad dressing and make menus and train people in this and do everything I could before the music started on Friday afternoon. And I would be nearby to, to consult, but I didn't work. I was not on the, you know, I didn't, I didn't step in there and, and flip everything and right. stir everything. Right. And then on Monday morning when everybody was just fried and we'd walk in on Monday morning and they'd be hung over and their herpes would be coming out and they'd all be just blurry eyed and <laughs> we'd show up all sparkly from dancing all fresh, weekend, yeah. fresh on Monday morning and we'd pick it up and we'd cook for the next few days for the breakdown crew. So we were right. kind of set up and breakdown is how, mm -hmm. how we did it for a bunch of years. And that was, that worked. Okay. And then the politics and things shifted and someone took over the kitchen that I just really had a very different food vision then. And it was really hard. So I was kind of like, you know, delegated as the vegetable lady who, you know, made the rabbit food for the salad eaters, you know, and, I remember and the you, vegetarian yeah. option, you know, I would come in and make the, the vegan thing or whatever. And that just got old after a while. And I remember when they gave this particular person um, in charge of the kitchen, I got an email saying, this person's in charge of the kitchen. They're happy to have you be a part of the kitchen, and they just want you to know that that he's in charge. Mm. And if that doesn't work for you, let us know, and we'll figure out another spot because we were VIP volunteers. For at that sure, point. yeah. So my husband's like, "Let's take that out." So I said, "Yeah, we'll we'll take another spot." And uh, so they put us on backstage security because we already knew everybody was should have been back there or not. It was easy yeah. gig. Yeah. And so that's what we ended up getting our good karma retirement plan on too was backstage security. And we just checked people's rest bands and smiled and 
did our so many hours that we were supposed to do for our privileges and still were able to be back with all our friends and help out. I would always go in early and I'd make like 10 gallons of salad dressing anyway on like right. Thursday just to help out my friends back there for above and beyond, we call it. Totally. But um, yeah, so those those were really fun times. They were amazing. Really hard work, really hard play, wonderful people. Great music. So much love in the food, so yeah. much love in the space. It was just, it was one of those things that I was like, yeah, this is this is good. This is where it's at. And I miss it. I miss it a lot now. This COVID thing really sucks. And has, yeah, uh, yeah clip my wings on connecting with that part of my community and my, my friends and my for service. Sure. For sure. Yeah. But just for fun, I want to talk about some of the other eclectic things that you have going on in your life. And uh, for example, when I when I first came down to Baja to hang out with you, I didn't realize that you were this avid, amazing body surfer and that you actually, I mean, you have lived by the ocean your whole life and you, um, but you've also been involved in all the communities around that. You know, you've been involved in water birth, <laughs> you've been involved in um, death doulaing as well. So like the full mm -hmm. spectrum of that, but also paramedics and really just supporting people being well your whole life. I mean, food is such a central key daily practice but you really actually are in service to your community in so many different ways and part of what you do that is so fun to keep your own juices flowing is to get out in that ocean and to really be one with the water as a mermaid so yeah that is my church and it has been from the time I was born I, I my father is a professional lifeguard so I grew up on the beach at Malibu and yeah, the community service piece is always something that, that um, you know, because I I uh, was raised watching my father do that work. Right. And we supported him, you know. We would do rescues, and he would bring people in and hand them off to us and then go out and get more, and we'd take them in. And, mm -hmm. you know, if he had to do CPR on the beach, we'd keep people back so that he could take care of stuff. And it's very interesting because um, when I uh, started to do the, the uh, hospice and death doula work, I did a lot of, of workshops and processes. And, you know, one of the things is like, well, where did you first learn about death? And I thought, you know, it was back when I was a little girl watching my dad do CPR on people, on people that uh, were at the beach. And whatever was going on, um, it didn't, it, it wasn't, you know, it didn't bring anything up. And I remember asking my dad about it. And I said, dad, that was the first time, but I don't remember any trauma about it. I just remember that it was happening. He said, oh, honey, I was very specific that your job was to turn your back to me mm -hmm. and keep the people back. So I didn't really bring you when you were really young into that space. You just supported. And it was just part of our life. And mm -hmm. so I realized that, you know, life and death got a little fluid there for me. And I had right. a little more firsthand um, connection to it that wasn't traumatic. Mm -hmm. And then when I became a teenager, he said to me, you're going to be jumping in and helping. You better know what you're doing. And he put me into a, a teenager's first aid course, CPR mm -hmm. first aid course. That nice. was the first time I did that. So that evolved into um, getting my EMT. And I spent 10 years on the Big Sur Ambulance um, just as a volunteer until we got paramedics down here and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I was doing home births 
in Big Sur with my partner Peggy. <clears throat> and um, I really felt good knowing that I could roll that ambulance with one of my friends if I ever needed. Knock on wood, I never did. Yeah. But um, it was nice to have that in the background. And yeah, you know, I just right now my life revolves. I've got four children, uh, and a stepdaughter, and nine grandchildren, and most of us like to surf, not everybody, but we do go to the beach a lot. Um, I'm living here on 15 acres on the side of the mountain with my youngest son and my daughter in love for the last nine years. And we've got goats and chickens and livestock doggies. guardian dog, mm -hmm. lots of doggies and kitties. And mm -hmm. it's just a very um, simple, sweet end of, of my career. I don't work out in the world very often, but I do um, help out at a local monastery down the road and cook for some precious dozen monks that live up on the side of the hill, and I go in and make meals for them from time to time, which is fun. And uh, yeah, otherwise, I'm pretty much home, gardening, walking my doggy on the beach. I don't go to Baja as much since this COVID thing has been kind of... Um, Cut me to cut me back from some of my traveling, mm -hmm. but uh, I've got a big thick wetsuit and uh, kids and grandkids that inspire me. So I surf here in the cold water and um, play with the dolphins when they show up. And, and they showed up as soon as we got to Big Sur yeah. to have this podcast visit. The dolphins were body surfing the waves themselves. I know <laughs> it's, it's a very so magical good. place. I feel really blessed just to be able to wake up and look out over the ocean and see what kind of a day it is and what direction the swell's coming from and like that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah. What a beautiful life. I've got a pretty good life. I'm pretty happy with it. You know, it's, uh, it's got the ups and downs and rounds and rounds as any life does. And in the end, it's still just filled with gratitude and appreciation for, you know, where I get to be in this lifetime. It's really how I approach each day is just so grateful that spirit dropped me into this body, <clears throat> into this family and this community and this life that um, sustains me in a way that feels so much more authentic than what I've seen out in the world. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel a little isolated and kind of out of touch. And the older I get, the more okay I am with that. <laughs> it feels right. Wonderful. And uh, yeah. And I like sharing it with friends like you, so come back and visit anytime. Yeah. It's super fun. Well, and thank you for sharing it with the, the listeners so that your life is truly positive and fantastic. It is so positive and fantastic. And thank, thank you, you so, so much. I <laughs> love you. Bye. Love you too.
episode of the Positive Fantastic Podcast. I'm Maureen Atura, and you can reach me by checking out my website, maureenatura.com. You can read about upcoming author events or sign up for my email list to stay up to date with the content that I create. If you go to maureenatura.com slash thepositivefantastic, you can link directly to any of the podcast episodes that have already been published and see short summaries describing each episode. I'm on social media, and you can follow me on Facebook on my page, Maureen Atura Author, and you can follow me on Instagram at Author Maureen Atura. Check out my channel at youtube.com slash to see a video of Robin's avocado chocolate mousse recipe that I had the pleasure of enjoying while recording this podcast. Robin's book, The Homesteader's Kitchen, is available around Big Sur's shops, as well as online at Amazon. Special appreciation to Copper Woman, who is a longtime friend to both Robin and myself, for her song, Bless This Food, at the beginning of this episode, and Mama Ocean at the end of the episode. For more information about Copper's music, you can visit copperwoman.com. This episode of The Positive Fantastic has been brought to you on the new moon, and I hope you'll join us for the next full moon. Cheers, and may all your meals be nourishing to your body, mind, and soul.